Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You joined us for the episode entitled Truth for Tough Times, Women in Worship. This is for Sunday, March 13, 2022. We're glad you're here today. Maybe it's your first time or maybe you've been here many times. Let me bring you up to speed. We are in a series entitled Truth for Tough Times, and we're going verse by verse through the letters by Paul to Timothy in First and Second Timothy, teaching him and teaching us, of course, how to stand for truth and be true in very difficult times. As I mentioned, this is for Sunday, March 13, 2022. There was a church where they were hard-drinking, take-no-attitudes-from-anybody, power-grabbing, two-fisted dictators, and the men weren't much better. (laughs) I've always enjoyed that joke. Before I alienate half of my listeners, the ladies, the women listening today, I don't want to do that, let me say right now that I am not anti-woman. My mother was a woman. My sister, my wife, my daughters, and my granddaughters are, you guessed it, all women. So I'm not anti-woman. So I'm not anti-woman, but I'm definitely pro-God and pro-Bible. And we come in the letter of 1 Timothy in chapter 2 to the second half of that chapter, And last week, I beat up on the men in the church really good. You should go listen to that, especially if you're a lady. (laughs) You will like it, I promise. But today, we come to the women. You see, young Timothy was left by Paul in the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, under another name, I think. But he was left at the city of Ephesus to pastor that church and It was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Christian church of its era, reaching its whole region for Christ. And for that reason, it was being attacked very especially by the enemy. And that would be, like the church lady says, Satan. Satan was not happy with what was going on among the church in Ephesus how effective they were in evangelizing their region, that everyone in Asia heard about Jesus Christ. Now, Timothy had a problem. There evidently was, at least on some level, it may not have been outrageously massive, but there was a problem that Paul knew about of some chaos in their worship. Now, you know, that God is a God of order. Everything is to be done decently and in order. So any type of chaos or disruption in public worship, that's not a good thing. So Timothy had a problem, and God gives the solution by inspiring Paul to write this letter. There is to be order in worship. As we saw last week in verses 1 through 8 in 1 Timothy 2, there is a role for men. They are to lead in prayer in worship. And I just jump all over the men in that episode. So ladies, if you feel jumped on today, um, I'm not singling you out. 
I'm an equal opportunity jumper on her. I, I chewed out the men and I'm going to say some very pointed things today to the women. Apparently, at the church in Ephesus, just like today, some women, it may not have been all of them, but sometimes it only takes a few to start a trend and a problem. Apparently, some women in the church in Ephesus were dressing outlandishly. They were dressing and uh, doing their hair and wearing jewelry and all of that in such a way that they were the focus of attention. Some maybe were not even dressing enough. And that's a problem for sure. Some were dressed for success, like whatever their their idea of success was. They, they weren't coming to the Christian assembly so much for worship as to be seen. Are you tracking with me? Some were apparently interrupting the preachers, uh, that would be Timothy and the other elders at the church at Ephesus when they were bringing the word of God. Some were apparently also usurping, that is just taking by force the leadership over the God-appointed pastors and elders there. Maybe some were even argumentative with them in public worship. And maybe, maybe it was just one or two could have been doing all these things. At any rate, Paul writes to Timothy under the inspiration of the Spirit. So this is God speaking to Timothy and to us. And it's sort of like the Mayberry thing. Nip it, nip it in the bud. You know, if there's something going on there that's going to lead in the wrong direction, it needs to be stopped now. Okay? I mean, would you rather kill a rattlesnake when it's a, a baby rattlesnake or a six-foot rattlesnake? Think about that. They're both equally deadly, but one is probably easier to get rid of than the, than the other one, all right? Now, not to get too deeply into this today, but female leadership is huge in feminist religion false religion from way back, and it's front and center destroying churches right now in 2022. Feminist-led churches, listen to me, are always liberal and progressive, and depending on where you're coming from, um, you know, in your background, you may think, oh, that's just so wonderful. No, it's not. Because if a church is liberal and progressive, you know what? It's going to find itself being anti-Bible, which means anti-God. And feminist-led churches are, listen, listen, never Bible-believing churches as we've understood that historically, and they are never surrendered to the real biblical Lord Jesus Christ. And I stand by that statement. Now, let's see what God's solution is for problems relating to women in worship. Now, God is not anti-woman and women are not the problem, but some things were starting to happen that were, were a problem to the entire church, even to the women in the church. Okay? 
I would describe verses 9 and 10 under this banner. Part of the problem and the solution was the whole clothing thing. So modest apparel, a modest appearance, and truly spiritual activities. So modest apparel and appearance and spiritual activities, they're the solution. Look at verse 9 in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. In like manner also, now what does that mean? Just like Timothy was told to, to order the men to straighten themselves out and be the leaders of their families and obviously in the church that God called them to be. In the same way, that's, that's the idea, in the same way, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. That is, the very clothing they wore was to be something that was not a, a problem for the entire church. This is not a day at the beach when you come to church. And, you know, you should even think that whole day at the beach thing of how you dress, ladies. Now, I probably should have my wife talk with the ladies here, all right? But I'm just say, reading what God's Word says here. In like manner also that women adorn themselves, that talks about how you dress in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. There's to be this um, a, a modest, humble attitude, really, and then and that, is, that will easily be reflected in how you uh, buy your clothing and choose your clothing and where you wear it and all of that. But this is talking specifically about when Christians gather for public worship. Now, it's not only about a modest uh, approach to modest apparel and a modest appearance. <laughs> this, what I'm about to say is going to knock you out. <laughs> not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Now, before we go further, let's break that down. Back in this time, women who, who had the means to do so would create elaborate hairdos, even with, I'm not making this up, even with like ships in their hair. And they would have gold and pearls somehow woven into their hairdos. I've seen people yesterday, the day before, and today, like this week, in the last few days, I've seen women in various places, uh, not so much at church, but other places, restaurants and so on, who have just, if I may say so, ridiculous hairstyles that make you wonder what in the world is going on inside that chick. You know, what mental or insecurity struggles or what, I don't know. Because I can't know that. But something's going on in the heart and the mind to lead some of these women to wear the hairstyles they wear. Well, that's not new. That was going on even in New Testament times in some places like in the church in Ephesus. If it wasn't, 
Paul probably wouldn't have mentioned this under the inspiration of the Spirit. Not with broided hair. That is the idea of, of weaving and braiding and plaiting and all of that and putting jewelry and ships and all kind of weird stuff in the hair and also or costly array. That is enormously expensive clothing that might cost, in some cases, a month's wages or a year's wages or whatever. Say, well, if the woman can afford it, why can't she wear it? Here's the point. What are we supposed to be doing when we come to worship? Worshiping. And we're not here to worship you. We're here to worship and focus on and glorify Jesus Christ, God. And you're not helping if you're back in the church in Ephesus or you're doing this today, you are not actually worshiping when you're coming in dressed in ways you shouldn't be dressed in terms of modesty. Or let's say you have on plenty of clothes, but I mean, people people forget what the preacher's preaching about just to watch you walk into church. That's wrong. Now, notice what Paul says. He doesn't go into great, great detail of, okay, what kind of clothes, what kind of hairstyle. That's not his main point. But verse 10 is where this is all heading. But, and he's especially talking about what they wore and did their hair and all that. But, which becometh women professing godliness. That is, listen, do you claim that you're a Christian? Yes or no? If it's yes, this applies to you. But which becometh women professing godliness. That is, you're saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. Then how are you to adorn and clothe yourselves? Here it is, with good works. You know what? If you have modest apparel and a modest appearance and, and you are all about serving Jesus Christ through serving others, everything is going to take care of itself because you are no longer the center of attention when you come to public worship. If anything, if people do notice you, they will be able to thank God that you're in their church and in their life because of the wonderful influence that you have for Jesus Christ among that group of worshipers. Are you understanding what we're talking about here? Now, that wasn't all that was going on. Remember I said that they apparently were speaking up in church and this just was not to be done, not in that culture and it shouldn't be done today. So the solution by God for that problem is silence and submission. I can't believe you said that, Pastor Ed. What a chauvinist. First of all, you can't even define that term. You don't know where it came from, so don't use it. But silence and submission. Now let's break this down. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. Now what does that mean? The women are to learn in silence. That does not mean it is not the Greek word for being mute, that is literally with no sound. 
For example, you can hear the heater that just cut on in my studio that I forgot to turn off. It's not real loud. It's fairly silent, but you, I cannot say that it is completely mute and probably you hear it. Sorry about that. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. This means, the best way I can put it is with a, with a quiet spirit. It's not that she's not to literally, uh, literally not utter any audible sound in worship. That's not the word. There's another word in Greek for that. This means just a, an attitude of, of quietness, of peaceableness, of tranquility with all subjection. That is, she is to line herself up under the leadership uh, first, if she's married, of her husband, if she's not, of her father, but when in worship and in the church, uh, fall in line under, the, with, uh, with, under the, the leadership of the God-appointed pastors and elders. Okay, you see what we're saying here? They're not to be uh, rebelling all over the place and and uh, blurting out questions in worship and challenging the pastor or the elders who are teaching and preaching. Apparently that was going on, but the woman is not to do that in public worship. Then he says in verse 12, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. Now, this for sure shouldn't be done over her husband if she's married, and obviously not over her father, but particularly, this should not be done in public worship among Christians. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. If she were teaching in a Christian worship service, she would be teaching men and listen to me, ladies, this is out of order. This is not God's order. Well, I don't like that. Take it up with God. God has laid out what his order is so that there is order and decorum in Christian public worship. And he says, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Same word as before in verse 11, just to have that quiet um, quiet spirit, you know, and just, uh, and really the men are, are even to do that too when the pastors and elders are teaching and preaching. We are not to be interrupting them left and right. There might have been a time in the early church, in the way they conducted their worship, where perhaps a question could be asked, but even that should have been done to a, a bare minimum and certainly with no attitude. So we've seen that women are to, uh, Christian women are to wear modest apparel, have a modest appearance, even in their hairstyle and in their clothing, and they are to be involved in true good works. That is the spiritual type of activities that are a blessing and not a problem to their church. They are also to learn in silence and be in submission in the proper order. Now, right now, some of you who've been infiltrated way too much by militant feminism are thinking, I'll never submit to anyone. Oh, yes, you will. 
you'll submit to the policeman who pulls you over, to the teacher in your classroom, at least you're supposed to, the principal at the school, the coach on the team. If you're still in your home and you're under the authority of your father, you'll submit to your father and his leadership. And you will also do the same thing under God-ordained authority in the church. It's really simple. And if you're saying, I don't, I don't abide by that, I don't believe that, I won't follow that. Now listen to me. You probably should question whether or not you are actually really a true blue Christian. Because if you are committed to rebelling against God's order, I have every right to question where are you coming from? Because there is no ambiguity in what we're reading right here. I think it is clearly evident that women are not to be pastors and elders in churches. And I personally believe are not to be, if we are ordaining men as deacons, we should not be ordaining women in that same way as deaconesses. That's my opinion on that. I think I could pretty much back that up from the Bible as we're going to see in 1 Timothy here as we go forward. But um, that is, women are, according to God, are not to be in the leadership of the Christian church. Now, right about now, you're probably, if you don't agree with this, A, you're mad, but B, you're saying, why? All right, let's answer that. That's a fair question that you screamed out. <laughs> I heard it all the way over here. All right, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's finish out with verses 13, 14, and 15. We're going to see where women are regarded. There is a penalty and a promise. I can't believe this. This is insane. No. You are just untaught in the Word of God. Right now, you have a choice before God. Now, you don't have to answer to me, but this is the Word of God. So you choose right now whether or not you are going to humble yourself under the authority of God's Word and follow His clear God-ordained plan. I mean, you either are going to or you're not. And for those of you who are following it, here's, here's why this plan is set up. It's because of a penalty and because of a promise. Look in verse 13. This is going all the way back to Genesis. Hear me clearly. Genesis is history. Now, if you were misinformed by someone who does not know their Bible and doesn't believe it, who they were influenced by false teaching and just an insane theological system, but they do not know the Word of God, many people who say they're Christians, they reject outright that Genesis is history. But I side with Francis Schaeffer, the great theologian. Genesis 1 through 11, in all of Genesis, but, but particularly 1 through 11, which is usually attacked, 
by those who deny Scripture. Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, are history. They are real history with real events and real people. And as Dr. Schaefer used to say, they, it all happened in space, time, history. The same way we see things happen today and learn about history that we read about you know, prior to our time. With that in mind, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's go to verses 13, 14, and 15. For Adam was first formed. So listen, the very first human being ever created was an actual real man named, that he was named by God, Adam. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And you know from Genesis that Eve was created out of the, a rib of Adam. And you know what? The more we learn about DNA and stuff that I don't even know very much about, I mean, Adam's DNA in his bone, his rib, was used to create Eve. Let that hit you right between the eyes. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. For Eve was the first woman. Verse 14, this is, this is critical. So Adam, uh, in verse 13, we see that Adam was given the first position. He is the federal head of the entire human race. He is numero uno. He is first in line. First in order, for Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. This is critical. And Adam was not deceived. So you remember when Adam met Eve again? She'd already been tempted by Satan and was deceived and followed Satan's lie and fell. All right, you remember that? It really happened. There was a real fall of man in the first two people. Well, Eve fell first. She was deceived. And Adam was not deceived. And remember, he, he also ate of the fruit that he should not have eaten of. And Adam was not deceived. So Adam sinned knowing, clearly knowing, what he was doing. He was following Eve into the fallen condition. He was not tricked. How do you know that? That's what this says. That's how I know that. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in the transgression. So Eve got taken in by Satan. I mean, she did not even really know what she was doing. Now, you would think, people being what we are, that, uh, you know, Adam would have, uh, I don't know, killed Eve or whatever. Or, you know, we, if we did, if we were God, we probably would have killed Eve. All right, you see what I'm saying? But the woman being deceived is in the transgression. Verse 15, here's, here's why I just said what I said. Notwithstanding... 
she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, here, notice this. Even though the woman was deceived and went into sin, verse 15, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. Now, I, I was studying this and preparing for this passage, and I discovered that there are about four or five different, major different views about how to interpret this. And the one that I think makes most sense to me, and you can look them up and you can, you can wrestle with it too, but to me, the thing that makes the most sense is the childbearing referred to here, she shall be saved in childbearing. You remember right after Adam and Eve fell, right? The Lord promised a, a savior, a deliverer, the seed of the woman. Well, the seed comes from man biologically, but this would be the seed of the woman. So through Eve, as she bore children, eventually Christ would come as a child, would grow up as God in human form, eternally preexistent, came here to be a human, the God-man among us, he died bearing our sins, paid the full price of our sinfulness, and he rose again the third day, proving that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father, right? Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. That is, the Messiah, this child, would come through the children that Eve would bear, and, you know, all the way through that line, the right line, the messianic line, until Christ came, born of Mary, right? You see what we're saying? Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. That is, the Messiah will save Eve and Adam. She is not hopelessly banished and lost, right? So women are to continue in faith, and charity and holiness with sobriety, knowing that they can be saved just like men can be saved. Adam has his role, but Eve has her role even after the fall. Let that sink in. Now, let's apply this. Any church that tolerates the violation of these simple rules that we've just read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 through 15, any church that tolerates the violation of these roles, I said rules, with these roles, and really it's the roles for the men in verses 1 through 8 and the roles for the women in 9 through 15, but any church that tolerates the violation of these roles will suffer for it period. Any church that follows these roles will succeed because of following these roles. Now today, the problem is a growing number of more and more and more and more churches 
are going down the wrong path. And churches and higher education, I mean like Christian colleges, seminaries, and certainly the secular colleges and universities, churches and higher education that like the idea of women's studies. I mean, that sounds nice, right? I mean, if they were teaching scripture and how to do what God says, that'd be great, but they're not. (laughs) Women's studies underlie a lot a lot, lot, lot of what is going on that's destroying Christian churches and higher education today. Now let's plug this in. Satan is involved in this. And back in Genesis 3, which is real space-time history describing the actual events that led to the fall of Adam and Eve and the human race, Satan started out in Genesis 3, verse 1. The first four words are, Yea, hath God said? So Satan came questioning, and then eventually he just openly denies Scripture as we read through the rest of the Bible, right? But he also uses it and manipulates it and twists it. But in Genesis 3.1, the the very first question, first four words is, Yea, hath God said? You know, does the Bible really say? And so the whole idea of questioning Scripture and looking for wild, weird, crazy interpretations of Scripture that do not in any way match historic Christian interpretation. That's at the basis of all of this women's studies and critical theory and all of that. And at the basis of all of that is Satan questioning scripture. Yea, hath God said in Genesis 3.1. You better watch out, Pastor Ed. You're going to make these women mad. No, I, I can't make them mad. They are already mad. They have a deep, angry, quiet rage against men and God and his word. That's what this whole thing about the patriarchy is really about. They hate God, the ultimate father. Are you understanding Here's what we finally realize. Satan is still at work in the same way. And in preparing for this today, I read a great article from Christianity Today by a Christian woman who formerly was one of these people. And she finally admitted to herself and admitted in the article that that these women in these women's studies programs and who are also leading churches and all of that, they are angry feminist women full of resentment and hate and rage, and they're out to destroy churches and schools 
and nations with their whole toxic male propaganda and their critical theory, which, by the way, critical theory comes from Marxism and communism, which is also anti-God and anti-family because all of that has to be destroyed for Satan to have his ultimate goal of ruling the world, okay? So it's critical theory before it was ever called critical race theory, but it's still the same thing. Liberation theology, a pro-abortion agenda, and they often do it, here's a sad thing, they often do it under the, the sheep's clothing of religion, of like being Christian, of being like a Christian church. And it's all a lie. It, it's completely a lie. And we see the, the slight expression of this I don't know how bad it was at Ephesus. I don't think it was this bad, of course, but it was beginning to start, even in Ephesus, a great church. Why, Pastor Ed? Why would it start there if it was a great church? <sighs> okay, come on, one more time. Satan hates great churches. <laughs> he hates great Christians, great Christian families, great Christian Mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. He hates it. And he wants to take it all down, baby. That's what he wants. And one of the ways he does it is through getting women to get off track, be deceived, and unwittingly or wittingly become his tools in destroying anything that would destroy his work. I hope that is clicking in your brain right now. Now, Pastor Ed, does this mean women are just supposed to keep their mouth shut and not do anything at church? You know, if that's what you got out of what, uh, out of what I've just said, you need to go back and re-listen and hear me for the first time. First of all, women are not to be literally mute in church, but they're to have a quiet attitude and spirit, Okay? not try to be a church boss. And you know what? Having been a pastor, a lot of people, men included, should stop trying to be church bosses unless they want to pull the load of being a pastor and an elder and be held accountable to God one day for that load, then just button up because you are not called to that. In fact, very, 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 very few men are even called to that, okay? Women already have and can continue to have rich and varied ministries within the Christian church. Women do a lot of things in the Christian church way better than men could ever even try to do them, all right? So women have a rich and varied ministry. Even in the New Testament, we see this. But they're not to have a pastoral ministry. They're to not to be the pastor of a church. And I would equate that to being ordained to the ministry. That's for 
a very few qualified men that God calls to that. So women have a rich and varied ministry in the church, but not a pastoral ministry, not a doctrinal ministry over the worship of the church, over the men of the church in public worship, and certainly not over the pastors of the church in public worship. That is completely wrong. And I don't know when this got started, but there are many churches, and even in their marketing and advertising, will will show a picture of Pastor so-and-so and and, uh, his wife, you know, so-and-so, and and she'll have some title. Um, I can't remember exactly the words used, but the idea is that they're both pastoring the church. This is wrong. This is point-blank wrong according to what God said. Oh, you're really making me mad now, Pastor Ed. Hey, I don't care. If you want to teach it another way, start your own podcast and teach it that way. But know this. Listen, 100 years from now, if you ask God who was right, God's going to say Pastor Ed was right because he was preaching and teaching what I said to preach and teach. And you're going to be wrong. So you can do whatever you want, but you will answer, just like I will. I'm going to give you a great example of a very blessed lady with a dynamic ministry who solved this problem the God way. Kay Arthur founded Precept Ministries. which was started as a women's Bible study ministry to teach women how to study the Bible verse by verse, going back into the Greek language and Hebrew and so on, learn how to do that and teach other women. So it was never meant for men, but men began to benefit from that study too. And Jack, Arthur, and Kay realized we have a problem because they believe the Bible, see? They knew that Kay would not be in the right role teaching men. So Jack and Kay Arthur, as it was relayed to me, approached the elders, that is the pastors, literally elders, at Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, years ago, just to lay out what Kay was doing, where the, where the fence was and the guardrails, and they even brought on her pastor, Pastor Wayne Barber, who's now with the Lord. I knew Wayne Barber and uh, preached in my church, uh, church as a couple of times, a great man of God, we miss him, brought him aboard and other men to Precept Ministries to handle what began to be a growing ministry to men's verse-by-verse Bible studies. So they handled that, and Kay handled the women's side. And Kay doesn't preach at Woodland Park Baptist Church, Okay? because she understands what her role is according to God. And she respects that there is a a penalty that women have. Say, well, I don't like that. Well, I don't really care. I'm just telling you what God said. You know, we play sports, and if we violate the rules, we may be in the penalty box. Well, God didn't wipe out all women, but he did put women as a group in the penalty box where church leadership and doctrinal teaching over men 
is concerned. And that's just how it is. A, you know, go with the flow that God lays out, okay? Or have a hard life from here on out. So that's the penalty. But the promise is God has not wiped out women. God sent the Messiah through a baby being born. And women can be saved and men can be saved. That's the penalty and the promise. Well, Jack and Kay Arthur understood that and they're in full accord with that. And they solved that problem and they did it biblically. Now, I, was, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, I do. Well, Pastor Ed, what if there was a local church situation where there were only Christian women, I don't know, like a war and all the men died, let's say, where Christian women were the only church there? What, what happens then? What I would say is one of the ladies fill in and all the ladies pray for God's man to come and lead the church. And then when he comes, because God will send him, then graciously step aside and fall in line with the entire church, men and women, in following the leadership and the doctrinal teaching, according to the Bible, of that pastor teacher. It's simple. Hey, listen, I'm glad you listened today, even if you're mad. <laughs> You'll get over it, by the way. If you're wondering right now, how do, maybe, this is the amazing thing, God could, could have used this message, this not a gospel message, to tell you you need a Savior. Isn't that amazing how God does that? Well, listen, call 877-247-2426. 877-247-2426. And find out how to have Jesus Christ become your Savior and Lord, and then you'll know for sure how your eternity will turn out instead of following Satan and being condemned with him to an eternal hell. You can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with him. Hey, listen, maybe you want to go to chataboutjesus.com, chataboutjesus.com, where you can chat with someone about the very same questions. Romans 3.23 says, for all is sin and come short of the glory of God. You know what? That means you and me too. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, isn't that great news? And then in Romans 10.13 it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what? Even if you're an angry feminist uh, preacher today listening and you're so upset with me but God convicts you like the lady who wrote the article I told you about God will even save you and I, I don't say that mockingly I'm saying that God will come into your life and he will help you get squared away he will save you and he will still use you just not as a pastor amen hey thanks for listening today I hope that you will like this episode and you will share it with someone today. I look forward to teaching in the next episode from Truth for Tough Times. God bless you. Bye-bye.